Welcome to episode one of the Ultra Speaking Podcast. I'm Tristan. I'm Michael. And we're the creators of Ultra Speaking, a completely new way to think about speaking and more than anything, to train speaking. Listen, speaking is easy. It's easy when you're talking to your friends. It's easy when you're talking to your parents. It's easy when you're talking to your spouse. So why does it suddenly become so hard when we're at work, when we feel pressure, when we feel watched, when we feel judged? That has been the single focus of Michael and I for the past few years. We are fascinated utterly fascinated by what it takes to bring that easy into work, into situations of pressure. So hopefully, as we dig into our brains, have conversations, Michael and I together, trying to extract the best insights we've had across these past years, invite people to talk about them. Hopefully, we can change your perspective on speaking on communication training, and maybe even change your relationship with it. If you're struggling right now, there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you know deep down that speaking can be one of your strengths, guess what? You're right. Anybody can make speaking easy in every situation. And that's what ultra speaking is all about. In this podcast, Michael and I start off with a conversation and we get real quick deep into some interesting insights, I think. The second half to me is where all of the real meat happens. So stick around. There's a lot of interesting topics, the importance of ending strong, what it means not to break character, why speaking is an art and what that can, how they can help you, and so many more concepts that might change the way you think about speaking. So without further ado, the Ultra Speaking Podcast, episode one. So tell me, these days, what's ultra speaking to you? We had a client Emmy, who keeps saying, you know, you guys, what you've done for me is, is years of therapy in, in a matter of weeks. We kind of brush that off, but the more that that happens, the more clients that say that, the more I start to think that ultra speaking, that speaking is, is a veil. It's, it's the thing that is on the outside and it's a vehicle for, for us or our methods or the practice to get to something deeper, right? What's the goal of therapy? What's the goal of coaching? It's to, it's to become a better human being, right? And so when people want to get better at speaking, they think they want to get better at speaking skills. But I think our belief, ultra speaking, is the belief that, well, you don't really need to learn a lot of skills. We all know how to speak. What, what's more important is how do you feel in moments of social situations, in moments where you're having dinner and you're like the fifth wheel, right? In moments of being on stage and you you know you prepared something, 
how do you feel in different situations is going to affect how you speak. But how you feel in those situations isn't just like, oh, this is a, this is nerve wracking. It's, do I belong? Am I good enough? And it's all these beliefs around how people see themselves. So I think more and more ultra speaking for me is becoming this vehicle to help people feel like they can be themselves. They belong in every situation. They don't have to change how they speak or who they are based on the situation. And if they can feel that relaxed comfort, like, hey, I can, you know, I can just express myself, you know, the way that I would with you, the way that I would with an investor, the way that I would with the kids, the way that I would with anyone, then that comfort, that feeling or that belief will unlock everything. So how, how can we help people unlock their speaking? Well, we have to unlock that belief that I can just be myself everywhere. Well said. I love that. Yeah, to me, it comes down to core work and skill work. And we talked about that the other day. You can't have one without the other. So the, the core work is how you feel. It's unlocking what's locked, giving you freedom, where you're coming from when you speak. And the skill work is what most people come to us for. They want to know how to speak more effectively, how to be more concise, how to be more clear, how to feel better while speaking, what to do with my hands, where to look. And all of those, well, all the, I wouldn't say, no, I'm not gonna say it that way. What you need is a back and forth between both. If you're only gonna work on the skills, you're never gonna unlock the root cause. If you're locked with your speaking, and we see this all the time, right? The, the biggest thing we see is somebody who comes in and plays uh, all of our games that are meant to just get you speaking, and you see them kill it, and then you see them talk about how terrible they are and how much they dislike speaking and how they wish they were better at speaking. And so there's this complete disconnect between how they see them, how they, they see themselves, how they feel, and what's actually coming out. And so that's the core, because you can get the best speaker, the most effective speaker in the world, if they don't believe that they're any good, then it's worthless because that's the that's the limit that's the threshold that's kind of stopping you wherever you feel you're at is the maximum you can perform at so that's what's interesting what i find fascinating is that the how good i think i am my capability of expressing myself is completely de dependent on your environment because somebody who we worked with this week, let's say, who would tell us, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really good yet. My confidence isn't there. I can guarantee you that when they're talking to their partner or their best friend, that's not an issue. They're performing at mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 if 10 is their, mm -hmm. the actual level they have, right? 
So it's interesting to me that depending on the environment you're in, yes, you're going to have a different belief about yourself. Yes. Well, that's that's what's interesting to me because I I, I had that for myself. Um, that that weird shift of depending on which environment I'm in, I'm going to be a certain way. And a lot of that. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I we met at Toastmasters. I've been doing Toastmasters for two, three years by that point. And I was the rock star of my club. Like, and it, it kind of felt that way. Like I was mm -hmm. just killing it at Toastmasters. And um, you did have a certain aura about you. I, I thank you. I still carry it to this day. And, but, but here's what's unique about it, right? So I, I'm killing it. I'm building the confidence. I'm building the belief that like, man, I can rock it on stage. Like give me any topic, give me any speech, give me an audience. I'm going to, I'm going to wow them. I'm going to make them laugh. I'm going to do all these things. And so I feel like, wow, this confidence, this is seeping in. I'm feeling different. I really feel like a new person. Then I go to Chicago with my wife and we visit a few of her friends and we go to this bar with them and she hasn't seen her friend in ages. So they're catching up. Her friend's husband actually brings a third person that's like a mutual friend of theirs. So basically everyone's kind of chatting and I don't really know any of them very well. And I, I remember sitting at that bar, it's getting late, Lauren's chatting with her friend, uh, the other couple or pair is chatting between them, they're all catching up, they're having a great time. I'm sitting on the outside feeling like I don't, I don't belong in this conversation. I don't belong in this conversation. I don't want them to have to include me. So, and I just, I remember being so miserable in that moment. And I was angry, but I wasn't angry at like Lauren or, or any of them for not, in, I wasn't angry at them. I was angry at myself because I had all these years of training. I'm apparently a great communicator, a great, great speaker, a confident person. And I feel like this, like this scared, shy, awkward high schooler when I'm at this bar. And so this disconnect to me feels like it's, I've been working on it for that. This is what the next phase of ultra speaking has been for me. It's like, okay, great. You can get in front of an audience and speak. Well, that's great because the audience is there to listen to you. You have complete con command and control. You're the guy on stage. Perfect. But life isn't like that. Life is basically just groups of people meeting together. And there's no appointed order of who speaks when there's no appointed, like there's going to be like clicks and friendships. And, and so it's really just how, who are you in that situation? You know, who, do you have the confidence to speak up at your, uh, at your family reunion in front of your cousins that you haven't seen in a while? These types of skills have not really much to do with speaking. They have everything to do with like, how do I perceive, who is Michael Gendler to my family? Who's Michael Gendler to my coworkers? Who's Michael Gendler to my wife's friends? And if I have to, have different answers for that, then of course I'm going to feel uncomfortable in all those situations. So that's what I find really interesting is it is environment dependent, right? People come to us and they say, Hey, like I feel fine in one-on-ones, but when I'm in a work meeting, this is hard or I'm good in a work meeting. But then when I'm in front of my direct reports, this is hard, or I'm good with my direct reports, but when I'm with upper management, this is hard. So there's always an environment where suddenly something shifts in your brain and you're going, okay, it's no longer the same thing. 
suddenly there's pressure, suddenly there's confusion, suddenly it's hard. So how do you fix that? How do you tell, how do you help somebody build a belief or build something for them to realize, oh, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's the, the boss, the CEO, the investor, the daughter, the friend, the stranger. How do you help somebody feel more at ease in all those environments? I think that there's, I think that there aren't that many environments. When you really break it down, they can, you can imagine a few groups, maybe they're, you know, two handfuls. There's work, there's family, there's um, friends, there's groups of friends of other friends, groups of strangers. And then within those categories, you can also imagine a different dimension, which is, you know, it's very different to be with your family, just talking around the table and have that moment where suddenly you say something and everybody starts listening. And mm. suddenly you feel like you're being watched. Mm -hmm. That's very different. And then you're being watched by your family or you're being watched by your boss and their colleagues. So there's the environment in which you are and there's the pressure of being watched or not being watched. Are you on a stage? Are you in a meeting that feels comfortable because you've been there enough times? And I think you have to visit as many of those environments as you can and build comfort within them. And you don't need to do it in all of them, but you need to do it in those that give you the most pressure. Because if you do that, then suddenly when you walk into a new environment, if you feel like you can be comfortable when your family's looking at you and you're speaking, you could be comfortable in a meeting with your boss looking at you, you can be comfortable with a bunch of strangers, then suddenly if you're walking on stage, it's not going to be that different. There's a lot of the feelings you're going to get that are going to be pretty familiar. You're already used to being watched. You're already used to having those kind of stakes. So it kind of reminds me of uh, a story I heard from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Someone was talking about celebrity Jiu-Jitsu players who only train in their, at, at home. So they all have their home gym and then they have one of the best in the world come and train with them. And I could imagine that they're getting phenomenal training. Mm. But these guys who were high level black belts who'd been around for a long time and been to all kinds of gyms, they noticed that when these guys do visit a gym, suddenly they, they tend to really underperform. And I think the environment is so different. There's so many stimuli, so much stimuli that's, that's different for them that suddenly they get into a defensive fear-led position mm. rather than being mm. in that position where they, they feel familiar and, and some form of comfort. And in jiu-jitsu, if you talk to any, anybody about somebody's level, at a high level, they're always going to talk about, well, is it, are we talking sports jujitsu, competitive jujitsu player, or are we talking about somebody who just does jujitsu with their friends? I used to do fencing back in the day and I loved it. And no way. 
Yeah. When I, when I was young, but man, I, I, yeah, I did three or four years of it. And I got good enough that my, they called it master at the time, my, my master or my teacher recommended that I go compete. And I bought all the gear or my parents bought all the gear because I was 13 or 14. Shout out to dad. Shout out to dad. And I was really excited. I was so excited to go test my skills against other people. I was proud that, you know, my master thought I was ready. And, and it wasn't cheap. I had to convince my, my mother, but she was excited for me. And I went to this competition and everything was so different that my, my heart was beating out of my throat. I, I was trembling. I, I, all my confidence had just disappeared. And I, I really, I just, I, I performed incredibly poorly. But not only that, I was against people who were pretty actually good, mm -hmm. right? I wasn't that good. I was just starting mm. my competition life. And I got destroyed, like totally mm -hmm. and utterly destroyed. To the point where I, I, I went in thinking I was pretty good at this and I left thinking that I was terrible. And it, it wasn't, I'm terrible at competing is I am terrible at fencing. I couldn't do anything against this guy. I felt like a baby. And I went back to fencing. I put all of my competition gear in a locker room and I cannot tell you where that gear is to this day. I never went back to get it. Somebody one day probably opened that locker and, you know, broke the lock on it and said, well, I wonder whose this is and just kept it or sold Dude, it or something. Your, your dad is so disappointed. My dad, shout out to dad. I'm sorry. But I guess I'm sharing that because for two reasons. One is speaking's no different, right? If you're used to speaking in, a, in environments that are comfortable for, to you, but that you've actually been protected this whole time. The second you get into a little bit of a hostile environment, you don't even know what hits you, right? And that can create trauma. And a lot of people mm -hmm. who, you know, we meet all the time tell us that I, I, it used to be fine. And until this one time in high school or college or later, I found myself in a situation where the contrast with how I viewed myself, the experience and how I viewed my, was so big that it destroyed what felt like a, you know, a, uh, a stack of cards, right? The second reason is that as I look back on that experience, I realize just how simple the problem actually was. Unfortunately, I don't know why, maybe he had something else to do, but my master wasn't there with me. It was just my mom. And she just said, oh no, you did great and it's okay. And then mm -hmm. we went home and we didn't really talk about it. And I don't even know how she never asked me, where's your gear and why aren't mm -hmm. you competing? Part of me wishes she pushed me there, but that's on me. But I imagine a world in which my master says, cool, first competition, you know, you've never been in an environment like that. Mm -hmm. I knew you were going to get destroyed. 
Let's go back to practice. Let's build up the stakes and let's come back. Let's come back. Every, I want you competing every week now. And within 10 competitions, you're going to, it's going to feel like normal. Mm-hmm. So if we bring this back to speaking just for a second, because I want to jump back. There's another really important lesson there. All that really means is if you're listening to, the, to this and, and you, had, ha, you have had that experience, realize that it's, it's just perception. It's no different than 13, 14-year-old Tristan going to that first competition and getting his confidence mm-hmm. destroyed. Mm-hmm. The solution is not getting better at fencing. It wasn't a, even a problem with my level. What scared me the most was how far under my actual level I performed. Mm. Yeah, Gary Kasparov says, um, I just listened to his podcast uh, with him on it, of how the reason he would get upset at himself losing is because it just meant he made a mistake. It just it just means he knows he underperformed to his... It's not that he was outplayed. He rarely got out... Even with the computer, he didn't get outplayed. It was him making mistakes under pressure. And I think your story, of course, brings up tennis for me. And, and I competed a lot in, in my high school and middle school days. And it's very competitive. And I also know that like you can be outstanding in practice when you rally, you know, open roll, open mat. And then you go to compete and suddenly you're scared to it's this, you, you miss your first serve, you get a second serve, you're scared to really, you're like, well, if I miss this serve, I lose this point. So that, that seed is in your head, but you still do the serve and maybe you do it, but there's that doubt. And so I see that parallel. I see the parallel of like in any sport, including speaking, there's pressure and how you handle pressure, how much you are thinking about doing the thing instead of just being in flow, instead of operating off instinct, the amount of kind of pressure that there is and your ability to handle it, that's going to, that, that's a lot of it. That's almost everything. If you know how to handle pressure, if you feel comfortable under pressure, then you can. That's what it is. So I just had this, this flash of a, a memory um, I think his name is Mike Miseshi, something like that. He's, he's also a jujitsu player, but he was, he's one of the best, the best in his world at his weight class. This guy is, uh, absolutely incredible. And if you were to walk past him in the street, you would not think twice, but that guy can kill mm-hmm. you with his little finger. He talks about, he talks about performance and competition in a really interesting way. He always mentions that once he gets to competing, he shuts off his brain. And he gets so good at entering flow that he actually has moments where he feels like he wakes up in a position. So jujitsu is like mm-hmm. chess. You're, mm-hmm. you're trying to advance a certain position and mm-hmm. create mistakes for your opponent. But he'll do something, something will happen and he'll be so deeply in flow that his body will react and do all kinds of things. And then suddenly he wakes up and he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, I can do an arm bar from here. And that, that makes sense because in jujitsu, you practice 
a lot of the same uh, snippets of choreography. You practice the same sort of move over and over, not all the moves, but you practice enough fundamental moves that when you're operating on instinct, you enter a sequence of moves, that thing is going to be so habitual, especially at the professional level, that a lot of that will will happen on instinct. Well, it's about it's about getting out of your own way, right? It's this is the this we talked about this the other day. You can learn a skill, right? But you can't. You don't forget that you're you're learning. When you get to the moment where you want to perform your skill, you have to forget all the techniques, forget all the learning, and see well what is what is left there. How do I get out of my way? So. In jujitsu, he says, like, if, if I start thinking, just like imagine a, a boxing match, if if you start thinking, what am I going to do? His art, his hand is coming in my face. You're, it's done already. The practice had to happen before. You get a hand thrown to your face enough times, and you practice the yes. movement yes. enough times that the second it happens, you yes. haven't even realized, but you're already you've already slipped the yeah. punch. So it's no different in tennis. When you get to your match, you should actually forget all about it and completely lose mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. just playing, in just entering mm-hmm. flow. And my poor young self at that fencing match started to think about everything, right? And started to overthink it. The worse it got, the more I was thinking, wait, how should I do this? How should I? When, I, when the solution was the most counterintuitive thing in that moment, the solution was stop the thinking, just do. And in speaking, it's no different, right? We called our, our first card game, speak before you think. Because so much of our games, so much of the apps and everything Mm -hmm. we, we do when it comes to the performance part, to the part where you're actually speaking is how can I get you to forget about all the training? How can I get you to forget about anything and everything you ever thought about speaking and just speak because the beauty of speaking is you've been training at it your entire life yeah yeah so cool you have to have some training because this this is where the core skill conversation kind of gets uh, a little bit funny if you if you're playing tennis and you're 12 years old or if you're fencing and you're 12 years old and you just say, it's all about being in flow. It's all about just playing. It's about not thinking. Well, that's great, but you are not going to win. You are not going to win if all you do is just focus on that, right? Because so much of tennis, so much of fencing is skill work. It's getting the muscle. It's knowing what to do in different situations, right? So much of speaking is the same thing. Think of it like flying a plane. You're flying a plane. Everything's cool. Engine, left engine fails. Now what? right? That is, a, that is a scenario that if you have never trained before, right? Not only will you just not be able to handle it with flow, but you, you just don't know what to do. In speaking, people don't know what to do when their mind blanks. People don't know what to do when their joke doesn't land. People don't know what to do when they feel their heart in their throat and everybody's looking at them and they're saying, okay, I get that I that it's not about the pressure. I get that it's all in my mind, but I also get that I'm feeling all of it right now and it's overwhelming. And so people don't know what to do in those scenarios. They haven't trained them enough. And so there's this dichotomy where, yes, the solution 
The solution is if you just never thought about your speaking, if you never thought about the, the fencing match, if you never gave it any thought, you just showed up, you just said, I'm ready, you do it, you would have been great. You would have played to the, the best of your abilities, but you played it up in your head. You said, okay, I have a match coming up. I got to compete. Okay, I wonder what he's going to do. Am I ready? You have all these thoughts and you've entertained them. And so they place some doubt. So now you're thinking about fencing instead of just fencing. So I get that the solution is stop thinking about your speaking. Stop. Who cares if it's the CEO or your mom or your, your friend's friend's friend, right? Who cares? Why are you playing it up in your head? So I get that that is the ultimate level of like, just speak. You know how to do it. Just be yourself. But I think the reason ultra speaking exists is because getting to that state is so hard without any training to just flip that switch is almost impossible. So I feel like you have to, I, I almost see ultra speaking as a sport. You have to practice getting reps in losing your train of thought. You have to practice pausing. You have to practice handling adrenaline. You have to practice starting sentences before you know what, what's going to come out. You practice all these things enough for you to build the belief in your brain. You know what? I can handle engine failure. Exactly. Exactly. It's where does comf confidence come from? What is confidence? Confidence comes from something you did in your past, right? Confidence, I, Michael Gervais says that confidence is the ability to say to yourself, I got this, but that's not enough. It's, I got this linked to multiple instances in the past where I indeed had that, where I indeed made it. You have to be, you have to earn the right to tell yourself, I got this. You so prove it to yourself. Exactly. So if you're going into your tennis match and it's your second serve and you missed your first serve and the moment's important in order to get into flow, in order to short circuit your own thinking brain and just knock it out of the park, you have to have put yourself in situations where you only had one serve and you made it work enough times that in that moment you can say, it's okay, I got this mm -hmm. and just shut everything down mm -hmm. and tell your body, remember how it used to be, you, you know get what it, out of the way. You, you know what I'm curious about is... Uh, <laughs> The moment I feel the most pressure when I watch sports, imagine being at the free throw line. Everybody's watching you. It's not an in the moment, you got the pass, you knew how to react and you made it. No, no, no. Time stops. 10,000 people in the stands. Let's say there's a second left on the shot clock. You're down by one opportunity to tie or you lose pressures on you you're at the free throw line you can shoot whenever you want to shoot everyone's watching you so that situation scares the crap out of me because in that moment it's all up to you to make this basket and you and it's kind of like it it's so different than actually playing because playing you're reacting in the middle of a tennis match you they hit to your forehand your impulse is just to run and, and see if you can hit an amazing shot i love that what sucks is i guess it's that it's the same thing as uh the opening of a speech you walk on stage you haven't started yet you're not in flow you walk up to the free throw line everyone's looking at you 
you know you have this one one chance, right? And so it scares the crap out of me because I can imagine in that basketball player's head, like, what must what must be the talk? How bulletproof must they be to say, of course, I'm going to hit this. It's like every day, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it. 10,000 people, game on the line. It's all up to them and how they shoot. And they have to stand there and prepare for it. That's what a second serve is in tennis. You know, everyone's watching you. You're like, if I don't make this, if I don't make this, that thought crosses your mind. If I don't make this, it's all over. And that's what I'm so curious about is in speaking, there are similar thoughts of that grandeur, of that type of pressure. Like if I don't do well here, career's over. So I have a great analogy again or get a little story again from jujitsu but there's so much to learn from jujitsu and this is um something that i heard from john danaher who's one of the best jujitsu coaches out there and he says he gets the question all the time like how can i feel more comfortable in competition every time i show up i feel like it's this huge thing and it's so much it's so hard so just imagine the same story but you just replace it with speaking right or tennis or tennis, or basically so much in the world. And he says, well, the solution is is really simple. Just don't make your practice different from competition. Make your practice as close to competition as you can, and then walking into competition is just another day, like you said earlier. It's just another day. So that's why I believe that you you. You can't learn speaking by reading about speaking. You can't learn speaking. Even listening to this, is it, it will only help you if you're coupling this which with speaking and speaking under pressure. And that's why in all of our coaching, in all of our apps, in all of our games, you're actually speaking and you're not you can practice a little bit on your own. You can use these games on your own to, to, to build up your, your reps and the, the pure skill. But if you're only doing it on your own, it's worth nothing. That's why all of our coaching is, is in, in group settings or most of it. Um, you need another person watching you so that it's simulating the pressure enough that once you go into that meeting, it feels like you've done something even harder in practice. And then suddenly you show up and it just feels yes. so much easier. So if you have a blockage, you need to overcoming, overcome it by finding a safe environment and getting enough reps there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. under real simulated pressure mm -hmm. that suddenly you feel like you, you just basically become, you make yourself bulletproof. Yes. And in the doing, you can learn skills too. You can learn how to become more efficient, more effective, more clear, more concise, more impactful, more inspiring. All of these things you can also learn, you know, while you're practicing, but they're, they, they're almost independent. It's just worth doing at them at the same time, but you're, you are practicing two different skills. So I like that competition and practice mm -hmm. are, what's the difference? And because there's a, there's a parallel here to how you and I look at speaking, right? Right now we're speaking on a podcast, right? We know we're conscious of that people will be listening to it. So we want to do a good job. But if we focus too much on, on that, 
then we won't actually be speaking the way you and I normally speak. We would be speaking in our public speaking kind of way, right? For your your imaginary audience. For your imaginary audience. So what we've learned over the years is that speaking is is the same. There is no such thing as public speaking. There's no difference between a an investor pitch and a dinner conversation and a podcast and you leading your team meeting versus you being at the team happy hour after the team meeting. There are subtleties to maybe how you show up. I, I understand professional subtleties and we can dive into that a little bit, but for the most part, you're still going to crack jokes at the investor pitch, Yes. right? You're still going to mess up with your friends. You're still going to say something stupid yours and you're just as willing to say something stupid at work. Not offensive, not disrespectful, but but stupid. Ideas that are worth being shut down. Jokes that are worth being laughed at, right? Lightness and levity to your character, to who you are, because that is what makes you, you. And so when you do have that big, big, big pitch, where you do have that huge job interview, where you want to make a great impression, Despite all of the stakes of that you placed on this one important event, which by the way is the mistake, is the mistake to put all your stakes and expectations off. Like that's that's philosophy right there. First of all, life philosophy. Like, are you really gonna make things big in your head? You don't know if this job interview is gonna make you happy. You don't know three years down the road if you're miserable, trapped, forty-eight hours a week, right? You have no idea. But you pl- you hope that I have to do well in this job interview. I have to do well here. I ha- it has to go this one way. So that's that's its own thing. Like, let's loosen that. But when you treat each time you speak with the exact same mindset, the exact same training, when, every, when your conversation at the grocery store, you are just as on and yourself as when you are in front of your team, as when you are with your partner. If you just treat speaking the same and show up the same and speak the same in all these situations, then whatever your next big situation is, it's just the same. It's just another free throw. Who cares if the free throw is with one second left or if it's in your backyard? You've done a million free throws the next one is just the same free throw. Yes, the environment might be different, but you don't have to shoot it in any other way than you normally do. It's just another one. So what's the game that we've created? I still don't know if we call them games or apps. We'll find out one day. Or sports. Or sports. What? Let's, let's call them... Uh, I want to call them an app for right now. So my question to you, of all of the apps we've created for this very purpose, right? To simulate pressure while building skills. So building comfort in an unfamiliar, high-pressure environment. Simulate pressure while building skill. I like that. So which of the games is your favorite these days? And why do you think it's effective? What's powerful about it? Yeah, because the the one I prefer playing is triple step. That's my favorite one. The triple step I find the most fun. You have to uh, give a full speech with random words flying in at you that you have to incorporate on the fly. It's I like it. I also like 
how Harry Mack freestyles and people throw him words and he like randomly integrates them. It's just a cool kind of party trick, party skill. And my brain works in that way. And I've met a lot of people whose brain works even better than mine in that way, obviously, because there's there's so many people who are good at this sort of like analytical sharp skill. Unfortunately, that I feel like that game doesn't unlock as much for people because in a sense, it only gets people to be more, more kind of just like practicing running without any, any guards. And they're just trying to get across the balance beam. And it's like, how fast can you run a, a, without falling? So and, it does hit a ton of the, the practice, like practicing with pressure, right? Because, because you have to integrate those words and people are looking at you and you have to be making a speech at the same time you have the risk of looking dumb yes is what what's going to be yes. in your mind so you are practice you are building comfort in a high pressure yes scenario which is half of the yes the party yes right? yes absolutely i actually think it's a huge confidence game it's a game that tests yeah, a lot because because every word is meant to throw you it's like to punch you while you're on the balance beam, it's meant to set you off balance. So if you can still find a way to get through and say something meaningful and have the words, like you're building not just a brain skill, but bulletproof confidence. Because you have to believe you can do it. If you can, if you don't believe it, it's going to be impossible. So which game as a coaching tool do you think right now mm -hmm. is the most impactful? If you could only have one of the games one of the apps, if you could only use one, which one would it be? It's so, it's so funny. Um, it'd be our snow globe game, the AKA the pause timer. Interesting. Because. Well, can you describe the pause timer for people listening? Pause timers, really, really simple. You, you start speaking. It might suggest a speech title or we'll ask you a question. You, you basically speak and then at a certain point, you're going to see this uh, countdown. And as soon as the countdown wheel reaches zero, it just means you have to stop speaking for like five seconds. Sounds super simple, right? And yet our entire generation, our world is not used to, to stopping. They can't pause. So... Whereas we have other exercises that like build in the breath, build in slowing down. This is the one game that makes it very clear. The only way you win is when you stop speaking. So when we use that game as a tool or as a, yeah, as a coaching tool, then we start to unpack the layers of, okay, great. You stopped speaking. You get one point. What happened? Oh, you were just waiting, waiting for the timer. Okay. That's beginner. Don't just wait for the timer. See if you can actually take a breath in, breath out, and just kind of clear your mind. Okay, you you did that. Great. Now you now you cleared your mind. Now you took that breath. And you get another point, right? But then what happened? Oh well, then noth nothing came. So I just started speaking again. Well, that's intermediate, right? The, the nothing came. Your mind's blank. You're freaking out. You you've been in silence for too long. So you say, okay, I gotta start. I gotta start again. Cool. You're not fully comfortable yet in being in silence. 
there's something deeper there. So now let's do the pause timer again. But every time the countdown goes to zero, I want you to take two breaths, two full breaths. Why is this powerful? Why does this have any impact on the person experiencing it? Because it's like snapping out of virtual reality. There's something about there's something about the pressure of the moment that sucks you in and the adrenaline that just like makes everything like just so like you're um, like picture the movie Limitless where it montages him like cleaning and running and doing this and doing that and just like here and then he's out at night and just so fast paced so as soon as that click happens where you actually feel the silence. It's like you went, you snapped out of that energy, that rushed, anxious, go, go, go energy. And you just have this, it's not even perspective, you have this feeling of like a mountain, this just like grounded in control. And you're able to access a state of being in which you feel so much more present, so much more in control, so much more like yourself, so unhurried. And so you get so much clarity from that state, so much clarity. So it's not that your speaking improves, your thinking. Your thinking improves. To stop speaking for five seconds in order to get a level of thought that might change the entire trajectory of what you mean to say, of what you mean to do, your entire life will can shift in that moment. It's a little bit exaggerated, but you're not changing your speaking. You're not saying relax so that you speak better. No, no, no. Relax so that you can get out of your head, step out of the dream relax, get perspective, and then all of that to, to realize you might get a better idea or a better thought. So that's why we call it the snow globe, right? When you're speaking, you're shaking the snow globe and all of the snow is covering the landscape or whatever's behind what's, what's in the middle of the snow globe. And that's what you're trying to describe. That's what you're trying to say. It's like, I let you peek at something that's kind of the idea that comes into your mind and I hide it from you and I say, now describe it. And so you start describing this thing, but as you're describing it, there's snow everywhere. And then after a while you describe what you remember, but suddenly you stop or you, you're, you start getting a little bit of doubt. Wait, what was, what was it? What did it look like exactly? And in that moment in speaking, we, it happens to all of us, right? You're speaking and suddenly you forget or you, it gets a little bit fuzzier. That's how speaking is. There's always those moments. And a lot of people just start speaking even faster, right? And you're uh, running after your thoughts. The reason why the snow globe analogy is so powerful is that if the purpose is to describe what's in the middle, 
and the more you shake it, the less you can see, mm. then it's fine. I take a look, I start talking. But as soon as I don't know, the only way to continue describing it accurately and to keep pushing my point forward is to stop speaking because stopping, you want to stop shaking the snow globe. Suddenly the snow comes down and you have to wait for it all to settle, really wait for it to settle so you have a clear picture, then pick back up, right? And depending on where you were at, if I push the analogy a little bit further, you can imagine that sometimes you just need a little bit of a peek back at it. And so you don't need a long pause. You can just let it, let the snow kind of subside a little bit. I can see through, oh yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Boom. And shift your focus a little bit. Go. Sometimes, sometimes you get lost. Sometimes you forget the point you were actually trying to make, or you, you forget the, the initial inspiration. In that case, take a long pause, take the full breath. <sighs> let your body calm down, let the whole thing calm down. And suddenly you see everything with perfect clarity and you can pick back up. I think it's fascinating to think about what we do as two pieces. One of one pillar is just getting comfortable spending time under pressure, spending time feeling watched, right? One of them is I just need you to spend as much time in that state as possible. Because the more you do that, that, that it, honestly, you could only have that. If you spend a ton of time in that state, being pushed around and being kind of like stimulated and you could, you could stay in it, then I promise you, you can speak to anyone, anywhere in, in front of as many people as you'd like. You're going to stay, you're going to feel like yourself, you're going to feel incredibly rooted and solid. You really don't need the other piece. But if you want the other piece, that's everything that has to do with skill. Right? It's, it's this, the first one, getting familiar in the uncomfortable, mm -hmm. getting familiar being watched. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that sends your message, right? I've, I'm communicating, I feel something and I want to convey it to you. And now I'm shooting that thing out effectively. But now I can shape it more or less well. And the shaping of the message that I'm trying to pass on to you is all of the skill side. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the principles that we teach, like- Oh, you that's, know, that's interesting. So if we- so this side, which feels like the pressure, how you handle pressure, mm -hmm. uh, that thing controls clarity of thought in a sense. So access to thought, yeah. access to clarity, access to thought. So if you feel a lot of pressure, you might not even be able to access your, your clarity of thinking because your thinking's too muddied. Okay. So you're saying, okay, if you're, if you're a basketball player and you're taking free throws, every day, but you're only taking them in front of stadiums of people. If your only practice came in stadiums with well, you don't people, even need a stadium. Like, in, are you just doing three throws at home by yourself? Or are you doing it with your friends and playing a game where, hey, let's all go and play horse, right? And everybody has to throw yeah. while everybody else is looking and right. while I feel the pressure of perf to, to exactly. need to perform. So if you just spend enough time performing in front of people, whatever skill it is, you're gonna build the skill 
of performing in front of people. That per, that performance, that pressure is not going to affect you as much because you're so used to it. You've done it so You'll much. You'll be able to feel like yourself so regardless you, of the pressure. Exactly. So now that you're able to feel like yourself, you're able to think pretty much at your peak level. Think at the level of your thinking. It's not blocked by doubt and pressure. Exactly. So now that that's half the battle. The other half is, well, can you, do you have the skills to express this like messy sensation of thought and impulses and the thing you think you want to express? Do you have the skill to put that into words and put those words in sentences and sentences in a way where exactly. you're able to accurately depict, clearly depict the thought that's in your head? Yeah. And so... One, one of those skills is so simple that you might want to overlook it. And it's what we call ending strong. And basically the, all it means is that when you end whatever you're saying, whether it's a speech, an interjection in a meeting, a question, an answer to a question, regardless of what you're saying, when you end, end with clarity and a projection of confidence. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Why? Well, number one, people remember the end of experiences more than the uh, they remember the beginning. So even if you floundered your way along, if you can end strong and powerfully, that suddenly becomes the lens through which they will digest what you just said and that's why gymnasts regardless of their routine even if they fell in the middle of their routine will stand up put their arms out and take a proud confident pose before they leave and that's not that is not random i promise you someone at some point started doing that and all the other coaches realized wait a second, why are all the people who are doing this confident thing at the end that looks just like a peacock pose, why is that, why are they getting better notes? Because that, the feeling you're left with at the end instantly becomes the filter through which you're analyzing whatever was said or mm. digesting it. Mm. So if I finish my speaking mm. or I cut myself and I say, you know what, sorry guys, I don't, I don't even know if that made sense. I just mm. totally lost my train of thought there. Um, sorry. Well, suddenly I'm giving you the lens. I'm saying, Hey, can you look at everything that I just said through this lens of, I don't believe what I said. I'm not sure. I believe what I said. I'm not sure. I think it was confusing. Can you look at it and tell me if you also think it's confusing? So by ending strong, the gymnast essentially decides to send a signal a signal to the judges that say that says i did a good job because if she sent the opposite signal which is like i know i know i stumbled i know it i'm going to put my sh then you are literally sending that signal so you get one chance at the very end to send a final wrap up signal to the judges of of what they should feel of what you think they should feel and i think what what we're saying is there is no benefit to you to send a signal of doubt and hesitation. Any other signal than a signal of confidence. Even if you don't know what to say, right? I could stop and say, 
And that's why ending strong is important. That was a strong ending, right? That's a strong ending. Although I said nothing, I just said ending strong is important. Or I could even say, and that's, that's what ending strong is. And that's that. Yeah. It, it, I could, if I, if I feel inspired, make it something more interesting, right? I could say, you know, so if you're speaking, I want everybody who's listening to this, I wish I could tell the entire world, hey, there, there, there's this low-hanging fruit. All you need to do is just pluck it out of the tree, just end strong, and already you're going to come off very differently in all of your interactions. And if you're coming off differently, if you're bringing on an air of confidence, you're going to start feeling more confident. So now, now I'm giving you an ending with substance. But the feeling you get at the end is this, it doesn't matter that I have substance or not at the very end. What matters is that I'm not finishing on, and I guess that's, that's, yeah, that's, I don't know, mm -hmm. that's what I want to mm -hmm. say about ending strong. Mm -hmm. Like I'm leaving, I'm leaving you, I guess here, I think it's so important, and the reason I wanted, why I wanted to bring it up is because it is so simple. It might be the easiest thing to bring yes. into yes. your arsenal. There's nothing you need to do mm -hmm. except don't trust your brain in that very last moment when you're getting out of flow and suddenly you're realizing what you said. Nobody can see that. So don't believe anything your brain tells you in the very end. And just for an extra couple seconds, finish those the last words that come out of your mouth. Make sure they come out with an air of yes. confidence. It's that simple. N notoriously that those last few words, that last sentence is a, is a tougher task for your brain than any of the other words. So there is a, there's a scientific reason why it's harder to end strong. And that's why we keep seeing everyone over and over and over coming to our classes, giving great speeches, but having really weak endings. It's because your, your prefrontal cortex starts to fire up the moment that it's time to wrap up because that that part of your brain is responsible for for what for uh is this making sense how is this being perceived what's the meaning of this it's the meaning making machine right so you get to the end you get out of flow now you need to make meaning that's tough so we know that the brain has a harder time with the end so all we're saying here is you don't have to make great meaning. You just have to stop speaking, but do it with a sense of confidence. And that's even if you don't feel the even exactly. especially if you don't exactly. feel confident. Because what we've noticed, which is kind of strange, there is no correlation that I can see in between feelings of doubt about what you said and how you're actually coming off. I do think that people who end a tirade feeling like, wow, I think I knocked it out of the part, there's definitely a correlation. A grand majority of those people probably did a pretty good job. But what we see all the time in our group sessions is somebody's gonna say something fantastic and then destroy our impression of it by just totally breaking character, ending incredible, just saying, sorry guys, blah, that was horrible. And people are like pulled out of a daze. It's like you're, you know, taken out of a hypnose, pulled into the matrix and suddenly, or out of the matrix, suddenly you, you're thinking, wait, what? 
He didn't, I don't, I thought, I actually thought that was awesome. And people tend to see, I think people tend to think that we're, we make more sense than we think most of the time, right? That's what we see at least. So there's, because there's no correlation between you feeling doubt about what you just said, if you made any sense and how people are actually feeling, it's probably inversely correlated in a sense especially if you don't feel confident, just finish strong. It's that, it's like running through the finish line. It's the last little thing. Then lean back, take a breath and let them interpret what you just said. So that's that. Break it down for me. Specific advice. What does it mean to end strong? What's, what what do you actually do? You just say, say something that sounds like an end. So if you don't know, you say, and that's all I have to say about that. Right. I could say, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. That's all I have to say about that. I, I think that's weak. So that's all I have to say about that. Or thank you. That's a really easy one. If you're talking to an audience, just say thank you to show that you're done. Say it with confidence and that's it. Stop speaking, say thank you and you're done. And if you feel inspired, then whatever that last thing you say, that's, that is the inspired thought, the call to action, whatever it is, you reiterating or what you, the message you're trying to convey, you do that with a sense of confidence and authority. That's what you want to give off. It's just, it's really, it's one of those rare things that is simple and honestly pretty easy. It's not that hard to do. We tell somebody to do it and then usually they do it either instantly or within a a rep or two, right? There are other skills like Mm -hmm. taking Mm -hmm. a breath, pausing and speaking where that's, that might be the most powerful one, but the hardest one to integrate because it's tied into self-worth and Mm -hmm. so much Mm -hmm. more. I mean, so is ending strong. And the reason people don't feel confidently ending strong is they, they start thinking about what they said and they go, I don't know if that was good. I don't know if that, that deserves a strong ending. I don't want to like, be an authentic and and tell people I'm confident, but but I think I think you touched on something about um, meaning, where speaking's like painting. You're just watching me paint with words, and then when I'm done painting and you see the final painting, now you're now you're looking at the painting and I'm looking at the painting. And whereas you're like, oh, this is just another painting and the millions of paintings that I've seen, I'm going, oh God, my baby, I made this, this represents me as a painter. Oh God, what he, what is he going to think? Oh no, 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 no. This isn't my best work. You saw me just do it. Like, so the meaning, you might think it's great. I might think it's bad. I might think it's great. You might think it's bad. There's almost no correlation. It's, and even if there were. A correlation between the two it's really just it's not that's not your responsibility right it's it's as simple as that it is not your responsibility to tell other people how they're supposed to think about the thing you just told them so i saw this um do you remember this is america mm-hmm. this is america. yeah you got this me tripping up you got me tripping up you got me tri- so good 
anyways, that thing was like this insane viral, yeah, viral yeah. sensation. I didn't know who Childish Gambino was. I wish I did. He's the more I learned about him, the more that guy's amazing. I'm stunned by the amount of things he does. Such a and renaissance. Does well. Oh yeah. Mm. Wow. What a, and what a to me, that's a true artist, right? And as soon as I saw this, I was so impressed and fascinated by what that thing was and, and impressed by the virality of it that I, I wanted to learn more about this guy. And I stumbled on an interview where the interviewer asks him specifically to explain something from the video. And he says like, you know, a lot, I hear a lot of people talking about this from the video, right? Or this from your clip, sorry. And... And he says, like, how do you interpret that? What, what does that actually mean? And I was so impressed to watch this guy, right, where everybody would feel so much pressure to answer that question. And he said, oh, no, I'm not going to answer that question. My brain exploded then. And he said, well, I'm, I've created the thing and I've put it out in the world. And my, my own interpretation of it, that's ridiculous. Why would you want that? That's for me. You make your interpretation. That's what art is. So I'm, who am I to tell other people how they're supposed to interpret this? That has nothing to do with the purpose of art. I finished my work. It's done. It's out there. And if you're going to get something out of this that has absolutely nothing to do with what I put into it, I don't, that hasn't, it doesn't matter. I could not even agree with the interpretation you make out of it. It doesn't matter. It's not about me. And I think it's the same as speaking. I think... Speaking is an art. Speaking is the art of expressing this burst of in, inspiration we have within our bodies. It's a mix of gut instinct and thinking and memories. And we just have this, this perfect storm that appears that brings up some sort of a, a thought that is not yet constructed. And speaking is the art of trying to convey that out and trying to download it, to transfer it to another human being with as little loss as possible. But it's not even as with as little loss as possible. Well, that's only part of it because if you think about it, we are so imperfect machines as machines compared to a machine maybe that the thought is, isn't even there. We're, we're also building the thought as we're speaking it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Otherwise... It's not the same as reading a book where somebody already built the full thought and you're just seeing the final product of a, a passage he went over and over and over and over. Writing is not writing, it's, it's editing, right? But in speaking is not editing. Speaking is on the fly, how well can I develop this idea while I'm transferring it to the person in yes. front of me? So if it comes down to that, then you are actually creating a piece of art and once you're done, it is not your responsibility to give your interpretation of it. Your work is done and strong and take a step back and see how that landed. So you bring up an excellent point. Thank you. Editing and, and creating on the fly, right? One is one can reach perfection because you're constantly chipping away and making it better and better. The others just splatter on a paint and you get one shot, right? I think what gives a lot of people anxiety at work is you have both, you can do either. 
you can have a meeting come up and spend all week crafting the slides, preparing your lines and going through that presentation. And let's even forget for a second that whether you feel it was good or bad, let's say you did an outstanding job. You know, I've seen some, you put a a lot of time in something, you can make it a world-class presentation. So let's imagine that guy does it. But then there's Hannah at work and Hannah looks at Jim and Jim spent the last two months prepping for this all hands. And, and he does a phenomenal, phenomenally crafted. It's funny. It's sharp. Everything is perfect. And then Hannah's going, oh my God, like, oh my God, I have to get speaker training. I have to learn how to tell stories. I have to learn all of this because wow, like, like I can't compete with that without having to prepare. So maybe Hannah doesn't hire anyone, but she says, you know what? I got to spend two months now. And so now we have a culture at work where any meeting, any presentation, it's just to communicate simple info. But now people are spending weeks just training their ability to say the words, just training their ability to craft the slides, just all this time wasted. Memory. It's just, it's training their memory, right? It's just trying to store every, the edited version into memory and then trying to act it out as close to what it might look like if it were actually spontaneous, right? So you're just, it's, it's such a, it's almost a lost cause. And you think, if you think about it, right, how well can you deliver a, I mean, some people actually, I'll take that back. On talk shows, a lot of what people come up there and, and say has actually been scripted. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's word for word. I don't, I don't actually I think, think it's word for word. They've told the story a lot of times. Yeah. They've gotten the reps in. And, and, and it's, and it has been edited and they can, they're pretty, pretty solid at pushing that out there and looking natural. But these are professionals. They are most of them professional mm-hmm. actors or performers mm-hmm. for most of us. Learning something by heart and then delivering it looks like you learned something by heart and you're mm-hmm. trying to, mm-hmm. to deliver it from memory, right? Like you, you rehearsed that well and it shows because you've, it's just a rehearsed, polished thing, but it doesn't seem natural. Think about any musician you've ever seen. Have you ever walked out of a concert and said, that was absolutely astounding it looks like he knew how to play every single note like wow it looked like he rehearsed it so well no the on the contrary what you hear from people is what it it looked effortless it looked like he was completely in his flow and just just not even that there was literally effortless he was just you know oh, i'm going to take my guitar and sing a song to you guys that's what mastery actually looks like it looks like it's easy so so i'm I'm confused here and i think other people might be too we're saying kind of two things we're saying that you the guitarist is effortless but because he's put in thousands of hours on the guitar right so jim or john or whatever gave a flawless presentation he spent two months working on it right so i think i'm at a crossroads hold on I'm i'm at a crossroads here of Well, what, what do you believe in? What do you, when it comes to, you have a meeting coming up, you have to speak daily at meetings, but then you have some bigger meetings. What is your 
belief around I need to prepare versus I can just show up, be myself, say, like figure out the one thing I want to say and I don't need to think about it at all. Where are you on that balance? Because people do both. I think both are fine. I think both are totally fine. Look, if you're going to speak at a wedding and you feel like it's so important and you really want to convey something very precise and you only have one shot and it's going to be filmed right? and, and they're going to keep this for the rest of their lives and you have six months to prepare, then by all means, workshop it, edit it, like think about it. And then ideally you have the, the range to give yourself some space on the big day. And, and now you know it so well, there is such a thing that you know it so well that now you can improvise around it, right? There's the core is still there and you can navigate it with just such ease that you can so easily just add a little joke or add a little acknowledgement or take on it. But if you feel comfortable in those kind of situations, then you'll have that space. But the reality is most of the people we work with work and they have jobs where they need to be presenting every week or every other week, even once a month. Imagine you have a real, a solid job where, you, where a lot of it is asked of you or you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. And you don't have hours upon hours every week to spend on preparing a presentation. You're going to want to be doing the work. So that's where I think it becomes so incredibly valuable to learn a way of preparing that doesn't take a lot of time or what if there were a way where you could be building your presentation and preparing your meeting as you go along with your day little by little piece by piece here taking a little moment to think about it and you're just building this thing until the very moment you show up and when you show up, you have a few ideas in mind and you know where you're going to take it and you know what the one most important thing is that you actually want to say. Well, then you have this beautiful mix where you spend all your time doing the actual work and your training was just getting in a good state. And then you just deliver it with so much more ease and spontaneity. If you can bring that to work, you're, I mean, that's a, a total game changer. I'm going to make it real for a moment. So I had a, I had to train some teachers today on how to, how to lead classes. And that's, that's a realistic work scenario. You have to, you have to present, you have to train your sales team. You have to give a training on something, right? Most people I know would pick five things they want to say. They'd create slides for them. They'd practice, they'd rehearse it, right? What I, what I hear you saying is, don't come unprepared. Don't just show up and say, okay, guys, well, um, what should we do in this training? Spend pockets of your day going, okay, what actually matters? What What is it? Is it telling them how to use Zoom, right? Is it telling them a thing about Zoom? Is it, what's the, what is the most important thing? So maybe you start thinking, okay, what's the biggest mistake? What's the biggest mistake teachers make? Or what's the, what's the one thing the greatest teachers have in common? And you just start thinking about it and you're like, okay, you know what? Ending on time is important. I'll talk about that. But really it's about, and then you go, huh, what is it about? What What is that thing? And so the preparation is not you 
preparing slides or detailing points. It's you having a conversation with yourself going, what is the thing that matters that I want to communicate most? Once you get the one thing down, everything else becomes easier. Because worst case scenario, you if you have a clear arrow, so we call this the bow and arrow at, at ultra speaking, the arrow is your message. We believe you can only say one thing, even in a 45 minute keynote, there's only one thing, one message that you could, that you should be focusing on. And then everything else there is to support it. That's the bow. You're just, you have a, if you have a sharp, narrow arrow, then everything else is just about drawing the bow back so that when you let go, boom, there's impact. Honestly, if you have a sharp enough arrow, a sharp enough message or one thing that you want to share, that's enough. You could walk into an investor pitch, a meeting, a, like you could even, you could walk in with your boss. If you are absolutely crystal clear on the one thing that will be enough now you can make it better by having that one thing clear in your mind and then drawing the bow back enough right and adding to that how what would be the most effective way to convey this message and then you start thinking about that and as you're having that conversation with yourself and with other people you're building this thing and you're realizing, oh, it would be cool to have this little anecdote in that, that, that really seems to hit. Also, this part might be important to add. And suddenly you're building this thing and you're like, you want to talk about a pancake anecdote. And then you want to talk about uh, a part that has to do with training. And, and I'm just inventing here. And you want to start off by uh, making sure to acknowledge that uh, your mentor, Eric, is the one who kind of inspired this. Let's imagine that that were the case. Well, then you're walking into your meeting with only four things in your mind. Number one, what is my one thing? And number two, the three pillars you know you're going to hit. So I know I have to mention Eric. I know I want to do the pancake anecdote. And I know I want to talk about training. I just got three or four words in my mind. And I'm walking into this meeting with a degree of freedom that will be absolutely unparalleled let's talk about breaking character don't do it do not do it but this is interesting because breaking character is almost more important in training than it is in in the real world this is a uh, specifically a prince a one of the foundational principles on, in learning at ultra speaking what it means it comes from theater i believe what it means is simply when you start speaking you are not allowed to break the fourth wall you're not allowed to stop at any point and say ah sorry i'm and and start talking to us as if we weren't the listener. Sorry, I totally messed up there. Can I start over? Or Adam, I can't do this right now. Whatever it is, you cannot break character. So even if you feel that way, if you feel like you're totally lost, you just take a breath, you do whatever you can, however difficult it is, but you find a way to make it through. Yeah. Why 
Is that so important in training? Our games make it even harder. The, the purpose of our games is to make speaking more difficult than real life. So we throw random words at you. So we tell you speak with more energy, with less energy. Okay, now do this, now do this. We're trying to constantly throw you off balance, right? We're trying to overload your brain. So at some point, your brain will say, this is impossible. I'm stumbling, I'm losing it. Like I've, I've gone way off track. This game is too hard. And your impulse is going to be, okay, stop, stop, let's start over. I'm done, it got too hard. If we don't allow you to do that, if the only way to lose at a game, according to ultra speaking, is to give up mid-playing, then you're training your brain to give up when it gets really, really difficult. The, what you're missing out because of that is you're missing out the part of recovery. You're missing out that extra squeeze of a moment where you realize, oh no, there is no escape latch. There is no, I'm not allowed to just hit the eject button. I have to stay in it and face the pressure, face this humiliation, face this moment. And in that moment, your brain, seeing that there's no way out, is forced to do something. It's forced to stay in it. And all of a sudden, the idea comes. All of a sudden, you remember the word. All of a sudden, your brain delivers and you figure out a way out. And you just earned yourself a strong droplet of the skill of recovery. So if you give up in training, then you are guaranteeing that the moment it gets hard on competition day or on speech day or in the meeting, your brain's default impulse is going to want to give up. It's going to say, give up, give up, this is too hard. And I don't, I don't know how you're going to do in that moment. What I do know is that if you practice ultra speaking games and no matter how hard it gets, you find a way to stay in it. You find a way to keep going and you train your brain to always keep going. Then on competition day, your brain is going to have the belief that no matter how hard it gets, you're going to find a way out you're gonna recover. And if speaking is like a plane and the scariest parts are the turbulence and you've practiced flying through turbulence over and over and over again in the, in the, in the games, you've simulated the turbulence and consistently you've gotten good at flying through it. Well, when you turn off the simulator and you go fly a plane and you get turbulence, you're gonna know what to do. You're gonna be fine, it'll be smooth. That's why you can't break character ever, but especially in training, because when you break character in training, you're robbing yourself of a hugely valuable opportunity to recover. Yeah. Cause again, there's, there's, there's the skill and there's the core and in, in not breaking character and forcing yourself through the uncomfortable, you are building the skill that's going to allow you to recover in any situation, regardless of the complexity. But at the same time, you're also building up your confidence and they play into each other because fear, doubt, lack of confidence, those are like tumors that are growing 
And if you give it attention, if you let the tumor grow, then eventually it's going to start pushing against something and you're going to start having symptoms. But as long as the tumor's tiny, as long as you have a, it's only a seed of doubt, which you don't entertain because you are confident that you're going to recover and you're confident because you're going to recover. Why? Because you've had so many reps in the past in situations at least as difficult and you've recovered. So you know that I say, oh no, it's fine. I'm going to find a way out of this. Boom. That the confidence comes with it. And the issue a lot of people have when they haven't had this kind of training or if they're training in the wrong way. So, you know, learning, practicing a speech, even if you think about it, if you don't have access to our games and you can't put in a lot of reps and, and simulate that pressure, well, maybe you're practicing at home one of your presentations. And the way you're doing it is you're starting your presentation and then midway through you having a good idea and you're, you're doubting what you just said and you say, ah, you know what, let me, uh, wait, let me take a pause. Okay, collect my thoughts. Okay, let's pick up from here. And if you keep doing that, which is what I used to do, we all, I think, do that. You are training a bro your, to create a, a broken chain, right? A chain full of weak links. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to put a timer, I'm going to start speaking, and I will not stop, I will not break character until my timer goes off. There you're training something very, very different. So, in summary... Breaking character is also a very, very easy thing you can bring into your arsenal. I will never break character. When you're in it and you feel like you want to break character, stay in it. Stay in it. If you're training at home, put a timer. Don't stop until you make it to the end. Stay in character until you make it to the end. If you want to pause and take a breath, that's part of staying in character. On the contrary. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, right? What's the number one thing to do when your brain's panicking, when you've reached that threshold of I'm about to lose it? What do you do? You stop speaking. You take a breath. It is likely that if you have already gotten to that point, if you've let yourself get to that point, then the, the tumor of doubt is growing pretty quickly because every word that comes out of your mouth is getting you closer to the edge where you feel like you have nothing. So there really only is a solution in that one option in that moment. If you've made it that far where you feel, oh no, now I'm really losing it. You got to stop and you got to calm down your body and your mind. And so it comes back to the to the snow globe, you stop, you take a breath in, but more importantly, you let it all out <laughs> and you take a big freaking breath out. All of it lies in there. If you take a breath in through your nose and you breathe out and you let the snow globe settle and you do that while staying in character, so still giving the air of, I, I know what I'm doing. This is just part of it. I'm just thinking, you know, what do I really want to say? Listen, look, you see that in the, the, the debates, we saw the presidential debates, I don't know when this is going to be out, but yesterday or a few days ago was the presidential debate. And you see them do this all the time. They're speaking and suddenly they say, look, 
and they pause a, a, a beat and then they pick back up or they say, and by the way, they pause and then they pick up. It's, it's like a, it's a beautiful way of just reconnecting with the thing you're trying to convey and all you really need to do is stop speaking. But I got a question for you. Why is it so difficult to stop speaking? If you think about it, it is the simplest thing. Just shut your mouth, close your lips, and there are no words that will come out. It is the easiest skill that exists in the world. Do nothing. Why is it also simultaneously the hardest skill there is? I don't remember where I read this. Uh, it might have been the, uh, the Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Great book all about letting go where he talks about that the the easiest way to stop smoking the easiest most proven way is to stop putting cigarettes in your mouth and inhaling <laughs> right you you do you don't do that you stop smoking it's so simple right but 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 i think therein lies the the crux of it like everybody knows what to do. Everybody knows, and we hear all the time, like, ah, I need to pause more, right? But it is such a an ingrained habit for us not to do it that we, we can't break the habit that simply. We're breaking a, a behavior pattern, which like smoking, some people never successfully can stop. They want to quit, they can't. Other people find ways to, but it's breaking an addiction. And I think we have become addicted to speaking without stopping. What's addiction? Addiction is I'm trying to fill a void or I'm trying to replace an unpleasant feeling yes. with a pleasant feeling. Yes. I don't feel really good right now. Give me whatever it is that my addiction is. Give me Twitter, give me cocaine, give me heroin, meth, give me more words. <laughs> give me the, the screen, give me, right. give me a phone, give me something to escape the feeling I'm feeling. So I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling like I'm losing my train of thought or I'm feeling like I'm confusing the people. I don't like this feeling of not being in control right now and, and floundering. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to speak even more. I'm going to accelerate the pace at which I'm speaking and I'm going to try because I want to get to the end of this as fast as possible. And it feels kind of good to be throwing words out because it feels like I'm doing something about it. But the solution is to go in the other direction. Well, let's take a step back. Let's examine that. The other direction is to be there, maybe in the middle of a confusing thought and stand there in front of everyone look while they're watching you and your inner dialogue's going they totally know I'm blanking yeah they totally know that I can't figure it out i probably look like a moron right now and every single millisecond longer in that silence the the tumor of doubt is growing bigger going you're not going to recover you're not going to find the thing the longer you're going to be in this, the more they're going to realize just how much of a fraud you are. You're totally stumbling right now. So that thing's going on and you're, you're, 
you've gotten used to feeling like the silence makes you look bad. Yes. But the opposite is true. Why? Simply put, only confident people pause midway through a speech to collect their thoughts. And we have no idea what's happening internally. What you feel is not what people see. So it doesn't really matter if you're pausing because you have no idea what to say. If you're pausing because you're blanking and you're pausing because you're confident and you're in control and you're composed and you're just pausing for effect to let something land or you're pausing to get go a little bit deeper into what you're actually saying, if you don't break character, it looks the same. And I experienced this firsthand. I, my first speech that you pushed me into without a script, because when I started this whole journey, I was the kind of person who would write every word out of their script and then learn it and try to act it in the most natural way. The first time you pushed me there, I totally blanked on stage, but I was on stage. So I didn't break character and I just paced. I walked along the stage as if I were confident as I'm trying to recall what I want to say and nothing came. And I think the pause was like nine or 10 or 11 seconds long, which is insane. And then suddenly a word came to me. I said it and everything, I, I got the thread and I was able to speak. And the crazy thing is I thought I had bombed. I thought everybody could tell and I finished, I sat down, and then people came to me and said, wow, that was amazing. That pause was so powerful. I could feel it so deeply. And I had no idea what was happening. What, 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 what do you think they were feeling? How could it be that a feeling of, you, you were feeling panic followed by, uncertainty followed by I don't know what to do followed by oh no and then and then something happens what were they feeling in that silence you were going through panic anxiety doubt and then you finally figured it out and that took you 11 seconds so that was negative feelings the entire time you're saying you came off as powerful as as like wow that silence I felt that what were they feeling, do you think, if not panic? I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and analyzing this in all of our training and coaching because I find pausing and breathing just absolutely fascinating. Here's, if I had to guess, here's what I think the journey is for the listener. I'm speaking, and as I'm speaking and telling stories and anecdotes and just following my own train of thought, people are building a story in their mind. People are building this beautiful three-dimensional thought bubble of something. Either it, it is exactly about what I'm talking about, or it is inspired by what I'm saying, and it's sending them on an inspired thought. It doesn't really matter. In the first seconds where I pause, 
people are going to still be wherever they were. So they're going to be in that thought bubble. There's no more noise, no more input. So they can put the last little pieces together, close the bubble, and kind of come back to the moment. So the first, let's say, one to three seconds of that pause, people don't even realize that it's a pause really yet. They're kind of in their thought, finishing their thought bubble, and then suddenly they appear. Suddenly they realize, they think, and you, everybody has felt this, right? This feeling of, well, wait, something's happening right now. That's the second that happens right after your thought bubble finishes, and suddenly you're aware of the fact that there's a speaker that's not speaking. And if you were to pick up then, that's magical, because that means everybody's suddenly back at the same point. All of us, the speaker and the listener, are back in exactly in the same point. So when you pick up, we're all picking up together. But if you keep, if you stay in silence, which is what I did because I didn't know what to say, then something kind of different happens because you, you had this beat, this rhythm to, the, to what was happening. Suddenly you're pulled back in, you connect, and, it ke- and there's still more silence. Then is the moment where you're thinking, wow, this is, this is powerful. Maybe there's a little bit of unease, but the good kind of unease. Like I'm, I'm ag- I'm, there's a little bit of friction. I'm kind of poking you subtly. Right. And so, cause, cause you're left, you're left with the thing you constructed. Mm-hmm. And because the speaker is no longer telling you, okay, build more. Cause the speaker hasn't started speaking again. You're not building. So you constructed it. You just finished. You're waiting. There's no talking. So your brain will just go back to the construction, but since there's nothing else to build, it will start to zoom out and start to finally go one layer deeper, start to actually think about what you constructed. So in the moment that you're panicking as the speaker, the audience is digesting this story that they've built so far. And it might not have an end yet. It might have all the details. So the mind starts going, huh, interesting. I wonder what's coming next. Or wow, oh, I some people you might have sent into a parallel universe where they're just listening to you, but they're thinking about, you know, their grandmother. They're thinking about their childhood. And and even when you stop speaking, they're still living out that little thought. So we're all kind of living out our thoughts when you're listening. When we're listening, we're living out our thoughts. So when when silence comes, we're just digesting. We're just letting the snow globe of our own minds settle. Let's give an example. Let's stop speaking for seven seconds. That's closer to 15, but if you were listening and if, if you were with us, then you probably just lived through that thing we were just talking about. Suddenly your, your brain finished it, thought bubble, then realized that there was silence, then thought about the fact that there's silence, then wondered what's coming next. It's, it's, it's really magnificent. It's, I really see speaking as this, um, It's, 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 it's like a dance. There's like, there's such subtlety to it. It's such a, 
if you get rid of the the fear around it and the anxiety, if you can get to a point where you feel comfortable, then it becomes such an interesting, nuanced game of how can I get my ideas across in the most lossless way possible, right? It's such a fun, fascinating tool. And just like in music, silence is as important as the notes, mm. right? If you, if you have music that never stops, it's, it's heavy. Mm. There is pause in music. There is space between notes and there's moments of to, to, mm -hmm. to make it complete. That's speaking to get the most effective way of speaking is very similar to music. It's, there's musicality to it. There's range, there's pacing, there's tempo, there's intensity, there's different types of feelings, and there are pauses. Okay, dude, I have, um, I have a question for you. You, you sometimes say that um, you're in control of the train. As an analogy for speaking, can you... Explain to people what that actually means. I think people have a, a misperception around what we're all paying attention to. We feel like our experience has to be their experience. Right? So I remember being at Del Rey Toastmasters and I was giving a speech and I had this awesome joke prepared. I think actually even you were there. And Most definitely. it was you know, I'm opening, everything's strong, and then I get up to, for my first joke and I say it and nobody laughs. And that sounds like the worst nightmare. But then what happens, right? Nobody laughs, okay. Well, I just, I, it, was, it was awkward, but then I kept speaking and I went, I went on with my speech. Cool. No one, no one, thought twice. They didn't even realize I, I cracked a joke. They just kept listening to my speech. What I did as I'm talking about the second half of my speech is part of my, my, my brain is still thinking about that missed joke. I'm still going, oh my God, that didn't land. Like that was so humiliating, so awkward. So in my head, I'm still living in the past, but nobody else is. Because if they were, if they, first of all, if you think people care that much about you, my God, like, that's that we we're all on zoom now we're watching people speak like we're not thinking of, we're thinking about ourselves if someone's boring you're not thinking about how boring they are you're thinking about your shopping list right we're not thinking about you as much as you think you we are but more importantly we can't also be living in the past and paying attention in the future it's really really hard so the train analogy comes in somewhere here where like you're on this bullet train and you're the, you're the conductor, you're the guy at the front and everyone else is behind you, but you're on this bullet train. So maybe you pass a billboard, right? And maybe everyone is thinking about this billboard, but that billboard has gone in a flash. So how many of the passengers do you think are still thinking actively about that billboard? If there's another billboard five seconds later and another billboard 10 seconds later and another billboard 20 seconds later, how likely is it that they're either paying attention to all the billboards at once at the same time or that they're on any one of them 
you just keep passing billboards, you keep thinking about them, then you pass another one, you forget about the last one. You're always on this train heading towards a destination. But we feel like the moment a mistake happens, everybody, the train pulls over, we stop and we, that thing is unforgettable now. But it's not because if it, if that thing was that distracting, people wouldn't be able to focus on what you're saying now. You can't think about two things at once actively. So as long as you keep speaking, as long as you just continue moving the train forward, your, your viewers, your listeners, your passengers are going to be with you. They're staying with you. So you might've had a tough moment. Just come back, just come back to what you're really trying to say, pick up steam, get back into flow again. And everything that just happened is ancient history. It doesn't matter anymore, right? What matters is where are you right now? And if you regain your train of thought, if you regain clarity, if you come back to focus, everyone else will too. They're on the same train. They can only see where the train's at in this moment right now. Practice it. Test it out. Play around with that. If All it really means is just keep on speaking and let go of the things that happened as you were speaking because everybody else already has it's a, it's as simple as that but it but it is creating a habit out of it so breaking a bad habit if if you have one of of lingering on things that you you know i stumbled on a word and or i said something that felt confusing let go of it stop lingering remind yourself of that and get back into what you're actually saying cuz other people are already there with you waiting for you even Speaking is like a train. Speaking is a, it is not linear like we think it is, right? If you're listening to someone speak, if you're speaking, you think that every word counts because that's your expression of this feeling you have in your body and in your mind. But when you're listening, you are not listening to the words, you know, otherwise you couldn't go in and out of a, somebody speaking and still get the whole thing. You're building it and you're filling in the gaps. And you're just focused on adding the next piece to the sculpture that you're creating as you're receiving the bits of information from the person across from you. So let me say this. Speaking is something that is not what it seems. The more you and I start digging around, researching, trying to figure out what is this thing called speaking, the more we realize that it's kind of like this. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like get this fuzzy thing in my head and like chip away all the noise and like create this access Actually, it's create this access here. It's, 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 I'm trying to see it so clearly for myself that when I can picture it, when I can truly connect with what I'm trying to say, and it's not a, it's not a word connection. I'm not trying to think of the right words. I'm just trying to see it. I don't even know if it's visual. Maybe it's just a feeling, but I'm trying to connect to this idea first. When I can connect to the energy of the idea that I'm trying to express, then all of a sudden I have a much better 
ability to transfer the thing that I'm trying to express, this entity that I'm trying to express, I'm much better at expressing it using words. But it's not because I'm, I'm, it's not just because I've been training the skill of speaking, the skill of transferring. It's because when I get, when I can connect to what I'm saying, it's like the energy is the 80%. The clarity is the 80%. When I feel connected to what I'm saying, the words come. The path to communicate just opens up and I can just be so present to the idea that I'm not thinking about anything else than the words are just coming off. They're just rolling. So there's something to that where the more we research speaking, the more we kind of discover that we're not teaching anybody how to speak. We're not teaching them techniques to pronounce better or to, uh, you know, be, we're trying to like help them connect with the thing they really want to say, like connect, like feel it, see it, be with it. Cause when you, it's like plugging into an outlet, as soon as you can connect to that thing that you're going to be supercharged with clarity and it's that clarity that will unlock your communication. And if you pair that with the ability to feel like yourself, even in a foreign environment, then, then you have a game. Then suddenly it becomes really, really enjoyable. So bottom line, we are insane nerds when it comes to speaking. And we have spent the last almost four years thinking solely about this and this side of speaking, not speaking, ultra speaking, what it's like to pair feeling like yourself with skill in any environment. And this is what the podcast is about. It's just going to be us nerding and going as deep as we can into this as we continue to discover more. And hopefully we can download our brains out to the world and, and somebody gets something out of it. See you next time. Well,